A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Fantastic story, right? Do you know the backdrop for this story? If you saw it in your Bible or if you just flip back in the Bible app to chapter 4, the context of this story is that Jesus the day before had said to the disciples, let's get in the boats and go to the other side of the lake. Let's go to the other side. And in the journey to the other side, they actually faced a storm. A storm that threatened them so much that they cried out to Jesus, don't you care about us? And Jesus says, oh, where is your faith? And he commanded the storm to be quiet. And they continued on in that journey through the, the night, and they landed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, there are other occasions where Jesus, traveling from Capernaum, had said, hey, let's go to the other side. And they had gone north up to Bethsaida, which was friendly territory. But to go south across the lake, the long journey and ways across the lake in the Sea of Galilee, was to go into a region that was considered enemy territory. There might have been more Gentiles who were in the region of that area, just north of a region called Decapolis or Ten Cities. In, in that area, there were more people who were not Jewish, not friendly, not culturally close or religiously close or perhaps even ethnically close. And so in some ways, that journey may have been a little nerve-wracking for the disciples to anticipate crossing over to the other side into enemy territory. 
I mean, who was going to be eating all of those pigs? 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pork. It wasn't going to be Jewish people who were eating that. It was probably Roman soldiers and people and others who were Gentiles who were going to be eating the pork. It was going to be a territory that they were unfamiliar with. And then when they landed, they actually had somebody run down to the beach right out of the cemetery. How in the world did Jesus get in a boat, cross through a storm, and decide to land the boat at a cemetery? I mean, how many of you made it your journey this past month to go to a cemetery? We, we wouldn't have unless there was someone who died, unless you were among some of the Vancouverites who think cemeteries are parks and great places to go walking. Yeah, some, some of us did that. Or if you were actually going there to memorialize someone who was dead. You didn't go to a cemetery to see someone who was living. You went to the cemetery to memorialize those who were dead. And yet coming from the tombs was a man who had been cast away as good as dead. A man who had been tormented not just by the demonic, but even by the people who couldn't care for him, who were put off by his shrieks and his cries, who were put off by his violence, who had tried to subdue him and quiet him. In fact, they had likely traumatized him in the process. There's three lessons that I want us to take from the story. And the first is that when Jesus invites us to the other side, you can count on it, there are storms ahead. When Jesus invites you to move from one place of comfort, from a circle of comfort, into a place that you're unfamiliar with, there are storms ahead. When Jesus invites you into a venture of discipleship with him, there are storms ahead. Jesus said, we will all have trouble. And he wasn't even saying that as a prophet. He was saying it as a voice of wisdom and as a pastor and pastoral concern for his disciples that they wouldn't be put off by the fact that there would be trouble. At the beginning of his message to disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, he told them, blessed are you when you're persecuted for doing good things. Blessed are you, that's a storm, mind you, persecuted for doing good things. That feels like a storm. That feels like trouble. That feels like conflict. Blessed are you, he says, when people reject you and persecute you because of me, because of your association with me. So Jesus from the front end was always realistic about storms ahead, conflict ahead. The issue always in the storms is, are you trusting him? Am I trusting him in the storm? whether it's a real-life storm, whether of nature, 
whether it's a real life storm of finances or conflict or of time or of trouble, the difficulty of learning, the difficulty of relationships, or if it's a conflict that's political or a conflict that is truly a clash of spiritual kingdoms. There are storms ahead. And this storm and every storm can reveal not just who we are trusting, but it can reveal the power and presence of God. The power and presence of God was revealed in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The power and presence of God is revealed here in the life of this man and in a community that didn't want to have to deal with the fallout of a miracle. The power and presence of God is there. And in this confrontation with Jesus, the demons actually begged Jesus, go away. No, they didn't, did they? The demons didn't beg Jesus to go away. The demons acknowledged Jesus as Lord, and they begged that Jesus wouldn't send them away. For they knew that when Jesus crossed over to the lake, the other side of the lake, Jesus is actually making a claim of territory a claim of life. You even prayed such a claim this morning that the inbreaking presence and power of the kingdom of God would be among us here, even at UBC. For you prayed, didn't you? Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth. So this is not a mild prayer. This is a prayer of mission and a clash of kingdoms. And there will be storms where there is a clash of kingdoms. And so the demons actually begged Jesus that they could stay in the region, in the area, and they so manipulate this man that he's running to Jesus. He's bowing before Jesus. And he's calling out and talking to Jesus. Jesus asks, what is your name? And the demon says, legion, for we are many. He doesn't give Jesus a name. He just gives Jesus a number. Yeah, here's my number. We're many. There's a bunch of us. And with the word legion, which was familiar to them because it would have been like 6,000 soldiers, foot soldiers of Rome, and 120 horsemen. So it's just a lot. It's a lot. Who had taken up residence and victimized this man. This man was being victimized. That in itself is a storm that most of us avoid. We avoid people who have been victimized. 
We push the victimized into places among the dead where we only think of them on special occasions or not at all. And Jesus came for him. Jesus crossed a lake for him. Jesus moved from heaven to earth for him that his kingdom might be established in this man. The second thing, and most obviously, is that in discipleship, when Jesus invites you to the other side, he's always inviting you to see with new eyes that people matter to God. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, people matter to God. Tell them, you matter to God. See, this is the new eyes of kingdom life. These are the new eyes of discipleship that when Jesus invites you to the other side with him, it's always to see again with fresh eyes. People matter to God. And in fact, this is why mission matters. That the apostolic sent mission of God really does matter. You can't just say, oh, there's enough Christians over there. You can't just say, oh, you know, there's a lot of Christians in Toronto. So we probably shouldn't go there with Jesus. No, Jesus always is inviting disciples to make a move to the other side so that you can see with fresh eyes people matter for God. Because in our little circles of comfort, we can't see the victims anymore sometimes. We don't see the people who are caught in darkness anymore. Our hearts aren't moved with compassion anymore. Because they're just that strange fellow who shrieks in the cemetery. So glad he stays up there. People matter to God. To the fear and dismay of the townspeople, people matter to God. One person mattered to Jesus. He took a journey across the lake, through a storm, stood on the beach, greeted a man who came running out of the tombs. And he healed him. When Jesus cast the demons out, he actually said yes to the demons' request. The demons requested that they wouldn't be cast out of the area, but couldn't we go into that herd of pigs? I don't know why the pigs. In terms of the spiritual food chain, people are at the top of the list. Destroy God's glory and image and creation in people. This is the work of the demonic and Satan. I guess pigs are further down the list. And so they requested. And Jesus said yes. I don't know why. Except that in saying the yes, their destructive impulse led to their destruction. And so he sent them into the pigs. And 2,000 pigs went rushing off the side, falling into the lake, 
that is a strange story, right? I mean, in, in our minds, it's, it, we wrestle to sort out, well, what about the demonic? But, but then we also wrestle in our values about, well, what about the pigs? The poor pigs. And like the townspeople, we see 2,000 pigs and we wonder, was it worth it? One man, 2,000 pigs. And for the townspeople who came, their economy was disrupted by the healing of this man. Their economy was going to put them at risk with the people who wanted to eat pork, the other powers in the region. And so they start begging Jesus, won't you leave? You're causing more trouble. And you can count on it. That when you and I and Jesus' church really does start caring for people, for their deliverance, for their salvation, for the change of their lives for good. It's not just a disruption in the spiritual realms. It's a disruption in the physical realms of how things operate on earth. And when economies are threatened, people fight back. People push back. And they will polarize and demonize those who are doing good. And so they come to Jesus. Won't you leave? And Jesus honors their request. He says yes. A second time to begging, to pleading, Jesus leaves. He said yes to the demons. He says yes to the people. And he's going to leave. But he's driven it down true, undeniable. People matter to God. Victimized people matter to God. Traumatized people matter to God. Alienated and alone people matter to God. Is anybody excited about this yet? Is there anybody saying, hey, that's me? I have felt pushed around, dragged and pulled by my ambitions, by my families, by my greed, by my passions, by my sin. I need this Jesus. The third thing that becomes very, very clear in this moment is that when we follow Jesus into discipleship and mission and we cross to the other side, it's really important that we keep the long view of the kingdom of God in mind. That every small skirmish isn't the whole war, isn't the whole battle. That every bump in the road isn't the end of the road, it's just a pothole in the road, which there are a few more these days. That every conflict and disappointment, every sense of failure isn't the end of the story. 
God is still working a story. And in this moment, when Jesus is getting in the boats to leave, can't you imagine the disciples going, well, that, that didn't work out well. So much for Jesus' mission. Um, I, I think it's right, Jesus. Don't you think we should get back to the other side? Let's go home. And as they're getting in the boats, the man who had been delivered comes to the boats and says, let me go with you. Let me go with you. And he begins to plead and beg Jesus. It's the same word, beg, plead, implore, that the demons used. That's descriptive of the people in the town. And now a third person is begging Jesus. But he's saying, let me go with you. Let me go with you. How many of you expected Jesus to just say yes? It feels like a bad story here when Jesus says no. When Jesus says go home. What? You tell somebody to go home, you're treating them like a loser, right? Did you really want them? But look very closely at what Jesus says. Jesus did not let him. Instead, notice what it says, verse 19. Go home. Now, for someone who'd been living among the tombs, alienated from their family, the message to go home may have been wonderful. Home may have just been a dream. And now Jesus gives him a gracious gift. Go home. Go to your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away. And began to tell in the Decapolis, the ten cities this region of 10 towns, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So he did more than go home. He went home and he began to do a circuit tour of visiting people among 10 cities. And in every town that he went to, this man began to tell them, hey, you remember me? You heard about me? I was the strong guy who couldn't be subdued. I I was the, the person who was so wrecked by Satan. And look at me now. Jesus gave me my life back. Jesus gave me more. What a testimony. What a story. And so Jesus got in the boat And he left, but he sent this man away. Little side note on prayer. Isn't it good that God doesn't give us everything we ask for? The two parts in this story where Jesus said yes, it seems like it's not working out really well for them. Jesus said yes to the demons. They ran off with the pigs into the lake and died. Jesus says yes to the townspeople. And the Savior of the world 
walks away, floats away in a boat. Jesus says no to this man, and he discovers and enters into the fellowship and joy of his home. Jesus sometimes calls people to leave home, and sometimes he calls them to go back because they're going to go back to the other side with fresh eyes, and they're going to know people matter to God. They're going to go back to the other side and all the storms that they had experienced in their family life and their home life, it's all going to be re-seen and replayed in a different way now because of the grace of God in your life. So whether God calls you to stay at UBC forever, nobody groaned over that? Oh, so good. Stay here on mission. <laughs> or if he calls you to go home or to go to another place, that movement to the other side is always in this mission of him so that you can face storms differently, so that you can know that people matter to God and you can always ask him to give you fresh eyes to see them. And third, keep the long view on the kingdom. And here's... Here's the big point on keeping the long view. At the end of chapter 7, Jesus had been on the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, up in an area called Tyre. And I've always wondered if Jesus went on retreats at the beach up there. And, and he ventured down from there, and he, he took his disciples all the way down from Tyre, back to the Sea of Galilee, across the lake, and into the region of the Decapolis. And in the region of the Decapolis, people began to flood out to meet him. And they brought a man who was deaf and couldn't speak, and they pleaded with Jesus, would you heal him? And it says that Jesus sighed and he said, be opened. Oh, what a picture. In my thinking, this new disciple who had been healed at the Sea of Galilee prepared the way like John the Baptist prepared the way with his testimonies and stories. He was the spiritual breakthrough that prepared and seeded the ground of the Decapolis, enemy territory that Jesus had now taken. And Jesus arrives, and his first notable miracle is to call out, Be opened. In Revelation, Jesus says, I've opened a door for you. In the mission of Paul, he used the same language to say that God would open the way for us. Keep the long view of the kingdom when you meet resistance. God's not done yet. There is no God-forsaken place on the planet. Graveyards and trash heaps have a lot in common. 
sometimes graveyards are used as places of memorial, but sometimes it's just to forget. The trash heap is, is even worse. And in trash heaps all around the world, there are people living, trying to scratch out a life. There's a woman named Heidi. She and her husband finished their PhD. They had done a lot of studying. When they finished their PhD, they began to pray, what now, God? What now? And the Lord told her, sit in the dust. That was it. Sit in the dust. She didn't know what that meant until the days in which she had walked around and through and met the people at a trash heap in Mozambique. And she sat in the dust. She sat in the dirt, and she and her husband made their life there share the life of Jesus. And they faced storms. And they knew people mattered to God even if others treated them as throwaways. And they kept the long view. And in the long view, in the ministry there of sitting in the dirt and the dust, she saw thousands of children reunited into homes. And she saw 6,000 ministers of Jesus ordained, trained, and commissioned. There is no degree that eliminates the requirement that disciples of Jesus listen to his voice and join him on the other side. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come into this moment knowing that our disobedience, our reluctance to see creates a kind of bondage for us. Our pride creates a bondage and a tomb for us. Some of us may actually face some kind of shaping of, from trauma in our lives, and we need your touch and voice again. We need you to come and meet us so that we can actually hear and be sensitive to you might feel like that side of our life has just been quieted, silenced. For others of us, Lord, we, we're waiting. We're like, yeah, Lord, just invite me to the other side, the other side of the street. Down to the beach. into that group where I feel so awkward. But you're wanting to do something. There's one person there that you sent us for. 
And so, Lord, as we enter into 2022, we, we just say yes to you again. And say we want to be open. We want to be open to you so that you might do your work. So come, Lord Jesus, let there be new stories in this year of your deliverance and your grace.